message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to uh, turn please to Luke chapter 4. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke at the moment. And if you were with us last week, you'll know that Matt looked at Luke chapter 5. And those of you who are really smart will be saying, why are we going backwards? Um, And that's because I didn't finish Luke chapter 4. But as Matt had already started prepping chapter 5, I said, you go ahead and uh, and look at that and we'll uh, we'll jump back in and finish off what we started in Luke chapter 4. So that's why we're going backwards. We will, after this week, I trust, start going forwards again, which is a good thing to do. So, Luke chapter 4, we'll pick it up at verse 31. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him when they tried, sorry, the people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So we looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago. Maybe uh, you're with us. If you missed it, you can uh, get it online and uh, catch up on that. And we looked particularly at the issue of authority. So rather than get into what was going on, particularly when Jesus was healing, we looked at the background to that, which is to do with Jesus' authority, both in word and in deed. And I also looked at the authority of God's word to us in this book, the Bible. And we also looked at our authority as believers. And all those things are connected and it's important we have a good understanding of them. Because understanding them well then leads us into what was happening that we'll look at today in a little bit more detail. So what we're looking at this morning, if you like, is the result of moving in that authority. And Jesus understanding the authority that he had his authority in word and deed. And uh, also for us as we say, well, what does it mean for us understanding our authority that we have as believers? So um, let's pray, shall we? Ask God to help us as we look at these things. And then we'll spend a while looking at this passage together. 
Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here. We thank you for your word to us, Lord. We thank you for this book, for the truth contained in it. And Lord, thank you that as we read it, we don't just read words and read truth, but we encounter you. And so, Father, I thank you this book is living, it's active, it draws us to you. And now as we spend this while this morning looking at this passage, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Lord, for each of us this morning, I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit has for us from this book this morning. God, I pray for me. Please help me to communicate well. Help me to apply scripture to our lives that we might not only understand what we read, but it might do us good and change us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start off by looking at Jesus then encountering evil spirits, which is what we uh, began to read here in Luke 4, as uh, Jesus went down to Capernaum, and he's teaching there in the synagogue, and he encounters somebody uh, that the Bible says is a man possessed by a demon and evil spirits. And it seems that's not uncommon for Jesus. Actually, as Jesus went about preaching the kingdom of God, and teaching the people, he would encounter people who were possessed or afflicted in some way by an evil spirit. That wasn't that unusual, it seemed, in his ministry. And actually, when you read through the New Testament, you'll find that actually it wasn't that unusual for the other disciples as well. And uh, they would encounter people who were uh, afflicted or possessed in some way by an evil spirit. And that would have been true for others as well. So you think of the Apostle Paul, for example. There are occasions we read of him and uh, in his uh, teaching when uh, somebody would interrupt, as it were, uh, who's afflicted by an evil spirit. And when they came across this, it's very clear from Scripture that they dealt with it. And as as it came up, they would deal with the situation. So this is true of Jesus. This is true of the disciples. This is true of others that we read about in the New Testament. As they encountered people who were afflicted in this way, they would deal with it. And it seems that as we read through the New Testament, that's how it happened. What they didn't do, and it's important we understand this, what they didn't do was go out looking for them. Do you understand the difference there? So as Jesus and, uh, and the apostles, others in the New Testament, would be preaching the kingdom of God and declaring his love and goodness and his grace, as they encountered people who were affected in some way by evil spirits, they dealt with that, and they ministered to the individual concern. What they didn't do was go on an evil spirit hunt. And it's very important that we understand the difference. Neither... Did they go out and before they started preaching the gospel in a particular place, try and discern what spirit might be over a particular town? Rather, they went to a place and preached the gospel and demonstrated the kingdom of God. What they didn't do was try and find out what particular spirit was or bind it or cast it out or anything like that. Now, I want to to say... And please hear my heart in this, but the blunt way of putting it is there's a lot of mumbo-jumbo in Christendom these days. 
And you can read all sorts of books on spiritual warfare and dealing with evil spirits. And some of them are excellent and thoroughly biblical and theologically sound and helpful to you. And many are not. And some would say, well, you know, you need to find out what a particular spirit is and what has dominion over a place before you can do anything. But you don't find that in the Bible. What you find in the Bible is Jesus and the disciples and others in the New Testament preaching the gospel, preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And as they encounter evil spirits, they would deal with them. So we're not instructed to try and find out what particular spirit might be over a place or try and discern principalities and powers. They are referred to. And Paul talks about them, and, uh, but he almost talks about them in passing because actually the important thing is not getting overly concerned with them. The important thing is preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And it's before we even get into this, we need to remind ourselves of those things. So we're not getting caught up in something that is outside what the Bible is telling us to do. So actually, Jesus' command to his disciples that we'll look at in a few weeks' time when we get there, is he sends them out to preach the kingdom of God and to demonstrate the kingdom of God and to heal the sick and cast out demons. And that's their mandate. And friends, that's our mandate as well. And so if we're going to be true biblically and say, well, what did Jesus do and what did he tell his disciples to do, then that's it. And so as they encountered and as we would encounter people who are affected in some way with evil spirits, then we deal with that and minister to the individual concerns. But what we're not doing is going on an evil spirit hunt over a particular town or city or location and saying we've got to do some, something there before we can you know, plant a church or preach the gospel. Let's be, let's be true to what the Bible says and hold to it. That makes sense? Okay, so let's look at what Jesus did. Shall we? That seems like a, a good place to start, wouldn't you agree? To see what he did and see what we can learn from that. So if you've got your Bibles open now, I hope you, you have, you'll see that in verse 33 then, Jesus is in a synagogue. He's teaching the people and there's a man there possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, who cries out. And uh, Jesus ministers uh, to this individual and, uh, and he deals with the situation as it occurs. The NIV uses the word possessed. Other translations use perhaps less emotive language. But the feeling is the same. Here is somebody who is affected or afflicted in some way, possessed, the NIV puts it, by an evil spirit or a demon. And as you read through the Bible, you see that Satan and his demons are just as real as the living God and all his angels. But let's be very, very clear here. This is not an equal battle. Sometimes we can think, oh, it's like a, you know, a wrestling match between the living God and Satan. And there's some sort of you know, equal weigh-in and equal power. And there's sort of you know, a bit of tussling going on. And uh, so, you know, it's, there's some sort of equality there. Let's be very clear about this. Satan and his demons are created beings. Fallen angels who rebelled against God. So their power is limited. Their time is limited. Because when Jesus returns, he'll deal with them finally, once and for all. But their power is real. But their power is nothing like 
that of the living God. Amen? Okay, so they are created beings. Yes, they are real. Yes, they have some limited power. But it's nothing like God's. So we don't need to be scared about it. We don't need to be frightened and go, oh, what's going to happen here? It's very clear what's going to happen here. Jesus is going to win. Okay? So, here in Luke 4, as in other places that we'll come to over coming weeks, demons recognize Jesus. Do you notice that? They know who he is. There's no doubt about that. Actually, their theology on this one is pretty sound. (laughs) They recognize who he is, but they don't worship him. So they're crying out, this demon's crying out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And yeah, he's right. This demon is right. Jesus is the Holy One of God. But he's not worshipping. Let's be very clear about this. That's not a statement of worship. It might be true, and the demon knows what's going to happen to it. <laughs> but it's not a statement of worship. So when demons encounter Jesus, they submit. They have to. Jesus doesn't allow them to talk, to take control, because he is the Lord and he reigns on high, as the song says very truthfully. So what does Jesus do? Very simply, he commands the demon to be quiet and to come out of the man. And the demon does, because he submits to Jesus. And Luke goes on in verse 41, if you, if you noticed it there, we're told that um, uh, moreover demons came out of many people. So there was lots happening here. And uh, many were coming uh, to realise that Jesus had come to town and uh, the kingdom of God was well and truly coming. So as Jesus encountered this individual, he dealt with him, he commanded the demon to leave, and he did. It's interesting that just at the end of that passage there, where Luke tells us that, um, let's just read it, he says, Moreover, demons came out of many people. And Luke tells us that after telling us previously that when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people. And so Luke separates out those two things. You notice that there. He separates out the fact that Jesus healed many people and also demons came out of many people as well. And so Luke wants us to understand this. It's important that we understand this as well. Luke is very specifically telling us that some sicknesses are caused by the demonic and some are not. And sometimes it's a bit of a mix. But he wants us to understand here that Jesus heals. Jesus dealt with those who were affected by an evil spirit. And regardless of what the root was, Jesus is demonstrating his power and bringing healing and release and deliverance to individuals. So let's be clear. Some sickness, yes, it has got demonic root. Some sickness hasn't. Sometimes it's a bit of a mix. Either way, Jesus brings healing. And Jesus goes on to to visit Simon's home where Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And what does Jesus do? Well, he rebukes the fever 
and it leaves. She's made well. So on this occasion, Jesus speaks to her condition. He rebukes it. And it leaves. And she's made well. On other occasions, Jesus commands healing. She might say to somebody, get up and walk. And as they get up, they find that they're healed. On other occasions, you might find Jesus you know, making some mud and putting it on someone's eyes. It seems there's a whole variety of ways that uh, Jesus deals with individuals. What you don't see anywhere in the New Testament, either from Jesus or anybody else, is a formulaic, predictable approach to healing. You see, our Western minds, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I think it would be true for many of us. We like structure, don't we? We like order. We like predictability. Okay, I'll be honest. I like structure, I like order, and I like predictability. I like to know where I am about these things. You know, and if it was a, here's the five-point plan for healing in every situation, that would be nice and easy. And we think, job done. We'll just go through the plan, and it'll be sorted. But it's not like that. You don't find that. Healing isn't like that. Healing in the name of Jesus is not some magic spell. Now, don't think it's, you know, just go through a certain set of things that you say or do, and that'll be it. You don't find that at all. Healing in the name of Jesus is to do with God healing people. Let's be very clear. He is the healer. You and I are not. He is the one that brings healing. He is the one that brings deliverance and sets people free. However, he invites you and I to get in on it and be part of it. He invites us to be involved, to pray for the sick, to cast out the demon, to be involved in bringing healing to somebody in Jesus' name. Does Jesus need to use us? Not really. Could he do it without us in the equation? Yes, he could. Would it, a lot, would it a lot of the time probably be more effective? Yes, it probably would as well. But actually, Jesus has chosen to use us because as he uses us, guess what? Our faith grows. We find, oh, I've done what Jesus commanded me to do and it worked. And our trust and our faith in God grows. And so Jesus does decide to use us. But let's be very clear that he is the healer and we are not. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus commands his disciples, and indeed you and I, to heal the sick. Often we talk about praying for the sick. What Jesus told us to do is to heal the sick in his name. And so there is an expectation there of God doing something, isn't there? There is an expectation on Jesus' part, as he's talking about this, that people will be made well. People will be healed. Now, please, now some of you are in the medical profession as I look out. I recognise you. So please don't hear that I'm in some way saying that's not important because actually I stand here as one who is very grateful for the medical profession and has been the grateful recipients of much intervention over many years. And actually God has given us wisdom and God has given us skills and has blessed people with those, and we benefit from that. And that's his common grace across mankind, particularly those of us in uh, these sort of countries who can benefit from that. So let's be very grateful for that, and let's thank God for those who care for us medically. 
But also the danger, friends, for us is that because we live in a Western society where health care is pretty good, actually, when we need it, it's there and we're looked after. The danger is that we can forget that, you know what? God wants to intervene as well. Now, sometimes God does that through those that he's given skill and expertise to. But sometimes he does it like this as well. And the danger for us is we can be so reliant on medical expertise and professionals that we forget that God wants to break in. And I think for us, the challenge is to go for both and be grateful to God for both. It's interesting, my experience growing up uh, uh, as a a young Christian um, in a fairly conservative church was that we would pray for people who were ill at the prayer meeting and at other times and it almost went like this sometimes we'd we'd pray for Mrs. So-and-so who was laid aside on a bed of sickness you know, I've never ever heard that phrase anywhere else than in these prayer meetings I was in as a, as, as a young Christian. And we'd pray for you know, Mrs. So-and-so who was laid aside on her bed of sickness. And we, we, we want to pray that God will bless her. But there, let's be clear about it. There wasn't a lot of expectation that God was going to heal her. In fact, I don't ever recall much faith that God was going to break in supernaturally and heal this individual who was laid aside on her bed of sickness, as it was labelled. And that was my experience as a a young Christian on these things. That's, if you like, at one end of the spectrum. Maybe at the other end of the spectrum, somewhere way over here, is a sort of churches or Christians who are so confident in God healing that if an individual isn't healed, then it's their fault. And it means they haven't got enough faith, and it's their problem. And there are those who would, who, you know, whose teaching uh, would say that, maybe not that explicitly, but the, sort of the underlining, under sort of pinning theology would be, well, if they're not made well, then it's their problem and their lack of faith. And there are probably two ends of the spectrum. Either they will pray for Mrs. So-and-so on her bed of sickness that she might know God's comfort and there'll be the, we'll, we'll expect you to be made well and healed and if you're not, then it's your lack of faith. They're, they're either ends of the spectrum, I guess, if you like. And many of us might be able to tell stories of <laughs> being on either end of that spectrum and actually being damaged by it. Either damaged by no faith and lack of faith or damaged by, you know, no love and care for individuals as they're prayed for. We would often talk about the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And Jesus doesn't mention it quite explicitly in this passage, but it is worth mentioning it this morning because I think it's important we understand it in the context of what's going on here. You see, all Christians are somewhere on this healing continuum. Either it's the no faith or overemphasized faith. And there's a sort of continuum like there. And most, you know, all Christians are somewhere on that line. You could probably identify where you are on that line. And probably, if you're honest, depending what the issue is, you might be at different points on that line. Depending what the situation is you're praying for. 
You know, at one end you've got the, if you're not healed, it's your lack of faith camp. And the other end you've got the, healing isn't for today and we'll just pray for you on your bed of sickness as you're laid aside. For us, we would be somewhere in the middle. The now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. What does it mean? Well, it, it means that we need to hear Jesus when he says, go pray for the sick. Cast out demons. So we need to be obedient to that. But we also need to be real and understand that sometimes it seems that people aren't healed. And actually, we can't just say to somebody, well, it's your lack of faith if you didn't get up and not made well. That doesn't really bless them much, does it? So there needs to be a care and a love for individuals as we pray for them, regardless or not of whether they're healed in that moment as we've prayed. So there is a tension there. There's a tension where we're sort of, you know, somewhere in the middle there. We've experienced something of the kingdom of God. We've seen God break in. We're being obedient to scripture. We're praying for the sick. And we know that actually sometimes they they don't seem to get well. That's because the kingdom of God hasn't come in all its fullness yet. It's the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. There's more to come. There's more for us to see. More for us to press into. But the danger is that you can use that as an excuse. You know, the now and the not yet, you can use an excuse for not yet and never, because the kingdom hasn't come in all its fullness yet. Whereas actually what Jesus wants us to do is be obedient to him and step out and pray for the sick, cast out demons and see the kingdom of God come. You see, as you read the Gospels, you find Jesus healing lots of people, casting out lots of demons. And whether you believe that's something for now or not, you'd find it hard to argue from Scripture that it didn't happen then. Because almost on every page you see Jesus healing uh, or setting people free from the demonic. So what did Jesus do? What happened? How did he respond? Well, firstly, Jesus responded with authority. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but he knew who he was. And there was an authority in that, an authority in his teaching. So Jesus responded with authority. Secondly, he responded with compassion. Now, this is clear in other passages, and we'll get to them in in coming weeks. But Jesus responds with compassion for individuals. So he responds with authority, he responds with compassion, and he does respond to individuals. Do you notice here, this is not some blanket, all be healed prayer. He could have done that. He's Jesus. He could have just seen, he, he could have seen the crowd. You know, can you imagine the situation? Long day, they healed lots of people, sitting down, having his tea with Simon's mother-in-law, who's now up and about after being healed. You know, she's, she's done the cooking laid it on the table, you know, they open the windows to get some air in, and what does he see? A whole load of more people waiting to be healed and set free from the demonic. At that moment, Jesus could have gone, oh, crikey, I just want my sausage and egg. <laughs> and he could have sort of looked out the window and gone, be healed. And they would have been. And off they would have gone. But Luke is very specific and tells us what happens. It says that, uh, in verse 40 here, when the sun was setting, so it's a long day, 
And as some were sitting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Jesus was concerned for the individual. He addressed each one individually. It's true now as well. Jesus knows you by name. He knows all about you. He knows what you're like. He knows what you're like when nobody else is watching. And he still loves you. And he still says, come to me. Come follow. Come be with me. So Jesus knew and loved individuals. Jesus knew as well that his priority actually wasn't ministry, but rather his priority was was his relationship with his father. Do you notice in verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Why? To be with his father. You find that time and again as you read through the Gospels. And the people come to him and try and get him to stay. And he says, no, no, I must keep going. I must press on. I need to go to other places as well. But even, so even when everything was going so well, Jesus pressed on because he knew what his priority was and what he wanted his father to do. So what his father wanted him to do. But even in that, he still took time to be aside quietly with his father. Even when there were still lots of people pressing him to see him, ready for another sermon, ready for more people to be healed, he knew that he had to spend time with his father. He was clear that's where his strength came from. And Jesus knew that was his priority and he knew that his mission was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other places as well. It's so easy to be distracted, isn't it? Particularly when things are going well. You can get caught up in what's going well. But Jesus was very clear about what his mission was. And he pressed into it and kept going for it, even though there were those who had wanted him to stay. So that's what Jesus did then. What does Jesus do now? Well, I think it's very similar. Don't you? I think there's authority in Jesus' response. I think there's compassion in Jesus' response. And I think he responds to and loves individuals. And why do I think all that? Because that's what we find in this book. So we need to hear, this isn't just my random musings from a week of looking at this passage. No, no, no. This is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible shows us that Jesus responds with compassion and responds to and loves individuals. And that wasn't just then, that is now as well. So if that's what Jesus did then and he does now, what should we be doing? What's the application for us? If, if that was true for Jesus and is true for him now, what does it mean for you and I? What, what do we need to take away from this morning? What's the application for us? Well, it's this. It's not until Luke chapter 9 that Jesus sends out the twelve. Maybe you know the occasion. We'll come to it in a few weeks' time. At that point, it's very clear. Jesus tells them to go do what he's been doing and sends them out. But we're now looking back on that and we now know that that's coming for them and indeed has come already for us. We know that Jesus has sent us too. We know that the Holy Spirit has come to give us power to be obedient to him. 
And we know as well that Jesus is still in the business of healing people today. So what should we do? What's our response? How should we respond? What should you do if you encounter somebody this week who is sick? You respond with authority, knowing who you are in in Christ. You respond with compassion and love. And you respond to and love the individual. So we looked at authority a couple of weeks ago. You see, because we're in Christ, we're now caught up in him, we now have his authority to minister in these sort of situations. So it's not that it's just our good idea, because actually the authority to heal is Christ's, and he has sent us and given us that authority to do the same. So very clearly, this power comes from God. It's not something that you have to work up or get a certain amount of, because it's his, and it's his authority. And it's because we're in Christ that we have that. So we need to understand that to start with. Even the way we approach the situation is different, isn't it, if we understand that well. Secondly, we're called to have compassion on the sick. Compassion on the diseased, on the demon-possessed. See, this is not some professional healing service. This is about demonstrating the love and the power of the living God. So let's have compassion on those who are sick. And and thirdly, we've said already that Jesus knew and loved and responded to individuals. And friends, we need to do the same. Let's make sure that we know people as individuals, not as projects. Sometimes we can think, oh, I just need need to pray for them. And it's almost a project. That's not how it was for Jesus. I don't think anybody went away from Jesus thinking they were a project. So let's make sure we're treating people with dignity, with respect, with love, with honour. Not treating them as projects, but seeking to introduce them to the King of Kings and to receive something of his power in their lives. That's true of praying for the sick. It's true as well, isn't it, of sharing our faith with those who don't know Jesus yet. Let's make sure we're treating people as individuals, not as projects. So, let's begin to wrap up then, as we come to the end of this. We need to be very real and acknowledge the fact that not everyone we pray for is healed. But let's not use that as an excuse not to pray for anyone. You see, I know lots of good people who look at the situation and think, actually, not everyone I pray for is healed. And that their response in that moment then is to back off and not pray for anyone. That's not a biblical response. I understand it because it's, it's difficult and it's painful and you, you need to work it through. But I want to encourage us, friends, not to use that as an excuse not to pray for the sick. But actually to encourage us and to stir us to keep on praying for the sick. But whilst we need to be real that not everyone we pray for is healed, let's also celebrate and praise God and thank him for those that are. I think sometimes we can spend so much time saying, well, not everyone's going to be healed, not everyone's going to be healed, that's not our experience. We almost forget to thank God when someone is healed. 
And we had testimonies just a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, of, of those who had, had recently uh, felt that God had brought healing to them. And it was great to celebrate that. And we need to keep celebrating that and thank God for what he is doing, not moaning about what he isn't doing. Amen? So let's thank God and remember that when we pray for somebody and they are healed, let's celebrate it. Thank God for what he's doing. And maybe the more we do that, maybe the more we'll see. There are issues that we don't fully understand. There are issues of faith all caught up in this. There's the whole tension of the kingdom of God coming, but not yet in all its fullness. There's the whole tension of how we care for and love people who we pray for, but don't get well. I understand that. I understand it's not an easy road to travel always. But I do believe this. I do believe it's the road that God has for us to travel because it's the one that we find in Scripture. So let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep asking God for more of his spirit, more of his power. Let's be asking God for faith to pray for the sick and to see what God's going to do. Let's keep pressing into this. Let's keep asking God for more of it. The experience of so many Christians who at some point in their life experienced um, a measure of God healing many people when they pray for them. If you sort of dig into that and find out more of their story, you discover that very often it started off by them praying for lots of people who didn't get well. So John Wimber, for example, who founded the Vineyard Movement of Churches, I remember hearing him teach on this a number of years ago. And his experience when he started praying for people who were sick is they got worse. You know, you'd be in his church and he'd say, oh, I'll pray for you. And you'd run a mile. You'd think, no, actually, I'd rather have somebody else pray for me if it's okay. Thank you very much. Because he'd pray for them and they'd go get worse or die. That was his experience. So in that moment, he could have think, well, it's really not working. And I'm going to back off here and not go for it. He didn't do that. Rather, what happened was he came back to Scripture. You can read this in his book. He came back to Scripture and said, God, my experience is not tying up with what the Bible says. And God, I want it to. And he kept pressing in. And he kept asking God that he would see people healed. And one day there was a breakthrough. And people started to be made well in the name of Jesus when he prayed for them. And towards the end of his life, he saw many people healed and many people set free. But I would suggest it's only because he persevered and pressed through and didn't give up. And it's so easy that the temptation is to give up. I want to urge us and encourage us not to give up, but to keep pressing into these things that God has for us. Amen? The Gospel of Luke, I guess it being written by a doctor, has lots of occasions of Jesus healing the sick and setting people free. And we find the disciples being told to do the same. And there will be lots of occasions when we start to look at these things in the coming weeks and we'll give lots of time to be praying for those who are sick and asking God to set people free. And I want to encourage us to go for that with faith and expectation, but also with love and respecting people as individuals on the journey. Let's stand together. We're going to pray as we close.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we do thank you for this book. Thank you for the uh, truth of scripture, Lord. Thank you for all that you teach us in it. And Lord, for what we've looked at this morning, we say, God, please, would it do us good? Please, would you land that which we've heard right into our hearts? God, I want to ask you this morning that you would put in us a real desire and an expectation that we would see you heal and set people free. Lord, we thank you for what we've seen even recently. Thank you for friends that have stood on this stage and testified to your healing in their lives, even in recent weeks. We thank you for that. And Father, we pray that we would see more of that so that you might get the glory, you might be made famous, and your kingdom might come in more power in this city and beyond. Lord, we ask for these things. We humbly stand before you, Lord, as a church and say, Father, please teach us about these things. Lord, I say that. Please teach us, Lord. Help us to be those who learn from you in that. Lord, we want to be those who learn these things. We want to be obedient to Scripture. We want to be obedient to you. We thank you for what we have seen, and we pray we might see more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. It's been great to worship the Lord with you. Have a great week and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday here at 10 o'clock. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk